0: he turns he fires for the win he's got the bucket at the buzzer
1: We're back to bibby has the open shot and yes! ladies and gentlemen up on those feet put those hands together and we'll meet tonight starting five for your...
0: Welcome to the Kings Beat Podcast. I am James Ham, your Kings insider for ESPN 1320 and the Kings Beat. Joining me, Mr. Brendan Nunez from the Kings Pulse and the Kings Herald. Brendan, what's going on?
1: Not too much, James. Uh, feeling a little rested after the All-Star break and ready to get back into the rhythm and, and watch some of this uh, new Kings basketball. How are you doing? This is, this is called the sprint.
0: Yeah, I, I'm good. I, I, well, I mean, I, I'm still having back issues, so... I'm a little bit slumped over and uh, and not in the best shape. Um, sitting here for an hour and a half or an hour and twenty, whatever we run, probably won't feel good when I go to stand up. Um, but uh, you know, I'll try to work on my core, my core strength while we sit here um, and and try to hold up the best I can. Uh, Brendan, you just said it. You took a, a couple of days off. I I too, I ended up riding on Saturday and Sunday, but. I did get away from social media. I got away from, I didn't watch a single event at all star weekend. Um, and, and really missed
1: out James. I, I needed was. the, I needed the break. <laughs> I've
0: been there. I've done that. I don't, I don't need to see more
1: of it. It was not good. It was horrible. I didn't watch the first night with the rising stars challenge, which is probably the most entertaining of the group. If Davion was there, I would have obviously, um, mm-hmm. but me too. But yeah, no, the skills challenge was a mess. Actually I ended up watching with Chris and Frankie. Uh, the KHTK guys. And nice. then, um Yeah, the All-Star game was cool. I mean, actually, Steph went crazy, and that was entertaining. But aside from that, it was it was a pretty mess of a weekend. You know, I heard that the
0: uh, the skills challenge, there was something wrong there. I-, I didn't watch any of it. So, to be honest,
1: it- it's fine. I-, I do know that Steph hit, like, he went for 50, right? Hit 16 threes. Yeah, just under. I think he ended with 49 and 52 is the All-Star Game record, I believe it is, which was set by Anthony Davis, which was shocking to me.
0: Uh, yeah. Okay, I think I remember that. I think I remember that. Uh, Yeah, to me, like the All-Star Weekend, once you've gone a couple of times, it kind of loses its luster because it's, um, you know, they're staged events for TV, and the league just keeps messing with it. Like they've got some sort of grand scheme that's gonna improve on on the product or something, and so they just can't leave it alone. Like even like the the
1: that's way what they did the, with the skills challenge,
0: yeah, the skills challenge, but the rookie sophomore too. Like like they made all it was like a round robin tournament, and I, I don't know. Like the I didn't watch any of the skills, so but I heard it was a train wreck.
1: Yeah, it was a mess. I half the time I'm trying to figure out what's going on and how the scoring works and it looks like the players are trying to figure it out on the fly too. Um yeah, definitely train wreck. What All-Star weekends have you gotten to go to?
0: Um I went to one in New Orleans, uh but it was the not one? It was not the boogie one. Um I was not there for that because they had All-Star weekend like a couple of times in a uh like oh, oh. It was when North Carolina lost the uh, the All Star game um, for uh, man. I, so Charlotte was supposed to was supposed to host, but they passed oh. a anti LGBTQ uh, um, law that the NBA took a hard stance and pulled it away from them. And so it ended up being, like, I don't think it was back-to-back years, but I think it was twice in a three-year span. And the 2017 one was a second All-Star game in New Orleans. So I went to New York uh, for Boogie's first All-Star game. I was in New Orleans, which New Orleans is an amazing city. I can't wait to go back for, uh, for the Final Four. Um, I've been there a couple of times. And, um, and I, I brought my wife that all-star weekend and I brought her to New York as well but New York was bitter cold like the coldest of cold 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 um and that was the Ben McLemore jumping over Shaq in a in a throne um all-star game
1: yeah yeah that would have won this year this year's was yeah (laughs) was it bad because again it was really bad Jalen Green came out and put an NFT around his neck And he didn't dunk with the nft on or anything he just wore it for a sec and then took it off and then proceeded to probably have like 40 attempts at a dunk but none of them actually counted as an attempt because it didn't like i guess it has to hit the rim in order or whatever the technicality is for it to really count as an attempt um they were all a mess it was yeah the dunk contest was really bad it's all been downhill since levine and gordon
0: yeah, I mean it, it's such a tough thing because first of all, it's a bunch of copycat stuff. Like, like there's only so many different ways that you can jump and move the ball around. And you know, on occasion, you see something on um, that pops up, like on Instagram or something. And you're like, "Huh, I haven't seen that before." Uh, with some some random dude. Uh, were you ever? Did you ever lower the rim and and have dunk contests at your house? Why do you think I needed to lower the rim, James? What's I'm this? just guessing that you lowered the rim.
1: <laughs> yes, of course.
0: see I, my my heyday I could get I could get above the rim pretty good because um, all I did was play volleyball. Uh, I just couldn't get the ball up and over the rim without yeah. losing grip and having it slip out. Um, but like you put me on a nine foot or a nine and a half foot and I could do some pretty spectacular things like i had yeah. I had big
1: hops when I was young. There Which is come. why I now have bit bad back injuries. Yeah, hmm. so I have that to look forward to. I guess. Yeah, I can I can grab the rim. Um, I can't get the ball over though. I can like lay it up and then grab the rim at the same time and make it look like if you weren't paying close enough attention that maybe I just dunked it. Huh. But that's about it. Hmm. <laughs> Interesting. I There's can't no even come close
0: now. Like now, I like I, I probably have like a like a twelve inch vert. Well, maybe a little bit more maybe maybe a little bit more than brad miller's vert um yeah and, and if i get loose i can get up a little bit but not but not much like even when i do play volleyball at this point it's all ground base like i but i can i can do still do some pretty good stuff uh being ground based um all right so we've squandered just minutes of your life talking about random stuff <laughs> and to open up the podcast. Uh, let's see, let's go through our, our, specifics. If you're watching on, um, if you're watching on the YouTube, make sure to give us thumbs up, thumbs up, thumbs up, and then go down below and subscribe. We are quickly, quickly approaching 1000 subscriptions, which is awesome. Uh, and if you are not watching on YouTube, if you're listening to the audio, uh, wherever you're listening, give us uh, a thumbs up rating ratings and reviews to, uh, marvelous things for us they make us like bump up their rating system so so help us out there uh outside of that um last week we had the happy hour that was your first happy hour right
1: it was the first one i was at yeah uh
0: yeah so uh for premium subscribers to the king's beat make sure you jump on and do that um
1: you get to join us for the happy hour what was your thoughts on the happy hour I mean, it's it's very laid back, and it's funny because now that I've actually gotten to have some of these um, off the record interactions with like you or Jerry, it's really cool. I think for everybody to kind of see that, Um, and that there's a difference between you know being on camera and recording and producing content compared to just what the laid back nature of, or, or just the personality of you or Jerry getting to show a little bit more and just seeing all those people in the zoom. It, it's a fun time.
0: It, it is a good time. And I enjoyed seeing like there's pages of people in the zoom, which is wild. Um, you only show up on the front page. I think if you turn your camera on, yep. um, and then it goes in order. Uh, but we let people answer, uh, ask questions, Jerry told like just a remarkable story about going back to Indiana um, when Larry Bird had like got into it with Bobby Knight at Indiana and left the Hoosiers um, and went home to French Lick. And Jerry went back because he was taking a new junior college job, but he was going to spend a couple of days in French Lick with his parents and then, and brothers and sisters, and then head out to his next post and, he uh, it coincided with Larry Bird being home uh, after leaving Indiana and uh, he was working a garbage truck and Jerry just started working the garbage truck with him. And, uh, you know, they they worked the garbage truck at day during the day and drank beer at night and uh, sort of, you know, making sure that Larry wasn't going to stop playing basketball, that he was going to continue on because Jerry thought he was a very talented young dude. Um, and he had known his older brother, who Larry Larry Bird's older brother, who went to uh, went to college and played basketball as well. Uh, but, like it was a fun story, and, and those are the things that you get on the happy hour. Plus, uh, James drinking. Yeah, I think I, I killed a peanut, a bottle of Pinot that night on the happy hour. So
1: good stuff, though, Brendan. It was good stuff. You know, I spilled the drink by myself here during that happy hour. Somehow, uh, I'm a mess, dude. I don't know what's going on. It That's was horrible, and it was like a flimsy uh, cup, apparently. The glass broke everywhere. I was panicking all over my computer. It's actually the first time I've spilled a drink at my computer here, and first time I went over to you, I spilled a drink. I swear it's not as common as it seems, but... Boy, Brendan is... <laughs> it's, uh, like, he's having a, a bad week.
0: He did, like yeah. we talked about, he did spill a rum and coke on the bar here at the, the Casa de Ham. Um so let's get to uh let's get to the the business of, of uh, what's happening now we're coming out of the all-star break um, the all-star break isn't just a time for for people like Brennan and me to take a deep breath and get away from the game for a sec which is needed during an 82 game schedule especially with a team that's like what are they 22 and 38 is that what they yes that's what they are um, so I. Uh, it gives everyone time to pull back and reflect a little bit. Brennan, I wrote about it on Sunday for Sunday musings, but the Kings are in such a precarious place. They currently sit with the number six, uh, number six, overall best chance in the lottery. Um, So they're the worst, the sixth worst team in the league. Um, Getting lower than sixth would be difficult. They might be able to like fall to fifth, but realistically that's probably not going to happen. Uh, like Indiana's the next team below them in the standings. and But they also have an opportunity to make a run for the play-in. And we saw what Portland did at the deadline with the intent of losing. Uh, clearly, the intent was for them to be as bad as humanly possible down the stretch. And then all of a sudden, they started winning some games. So they're three and a half games up on the Kings. Uh, there are also the Spurs and the Pelicans that are in between the Kings and the the uh, trailblazers. So the Kings would not only have to have a better record than the the trailblazers, a three and a half game, better record, but they would also have to leapfrog two other teams to get to the play-in. But the Kings are one of the few teams in that range that look like they're primed and have the ability to get there. Am I, am I wrong in thinking that that we're kind of caught in the middle here between a potential play in and something better?
1: No, I mean, I think that that's definitely where they're at. Um, New Orleans feels like the other team that's rubbing shoulders with them. Um, I, I kind of think that San Antonio isn't quite as talented as those two rosters. And it seems like Port- Portland isn't a, isn't in a position where they're really pushing to uh, get wins right now, necessarily. And yeah, so I, I think that it is a, a weird situation for you just made a win nail move and you're still three and a half games out of the 10th seed. Um I think that as you're going into this second half, that I'm not upset at either direction, really. I don't, I don't think that the team is, like, I don't know that tanking is really in the conversation. I think that there's a chance that they just don't win games, and I think this is kind of what you laid out as well, and I agree with in your Sunday musings. Um, I think there's a chance that they just don't win all that many games and still end up with a good draft pick for that reason. But I don't see how you move with this roster throughout these final 22, I believe, games it is, and just not try to win games. I don't even know who you would throw out there for that to look like, like Trey Lyles, Josh Jackson. You're not going to give those guys minutes over um, some of these recent acquisitions that we've seen um, that are planning on being contributors, I would think, going into next year and potentially beyond that. Like, I think that... um, I don't know how much like tanking is really even in the cards. I don't know what that would even look like with this roster.
0: Yeah, I think that that's kind of the interesting, thing. interesting thing. I, I looked at uh, my Sunday musings. I broke down. I think the Pelicans have the most difficult schedule out of everyone remaining, which is like point five one zero. The Kings are like point five zero nine, so they're like barely less. And I think the Spurs are point five zero three. They they have like the fifteenth most difficult schedule remaining. And then Portland has, like, the second easiest schedule left in the NBA. And so that's a, that's a bit of an issue if the Kings are hoping to make it and if Portland is going to, like, take a back seat. Um, and it's just going to be hard for Portland to lose all of these games, or realistically. Like, y- you would hope that they, you know, they have the second easiest remaining schedule at 0456 So that's a, that's, I mean, a sub 500 schedule to finish the season. That's, that's crazy. And of the final 22 games, I think the Kings are down to what, eight home games. So eight and eight at home, 14 away. That's not easy. Um, You know, I I think that there there are probably 10 or 12 games that the Kings could win, like going through their schedule and saying, okay, what's going to happen here? What's going to happen there? Um, you know, and, and just like judging from where I I normally judge, I can tell like what's the breakoff point, like where you're going to lose more games in the final week and a half when you're close, um, but you're not going to make it. The Kings are usually smart enough not to pick up a bunch of wins in the last like five games. Sometimes they do, um, and usually that's when they move up in the lottery is when they actually they're rewarded for not fully tanking. Um, but when I look at <laughs> sort of the way this thing could play out, um, it, it is a really difficult decision. The Kings don't have a young core to go to anymore. They don't have a, a a group of young players that, like, they're not part of your main core, but they have their own separate, like, group of four or five. We had that early in the season. We had it a lot last year where we had this entire group of players that probably should be in, uh, like, in development mode and you're throwing them out there all the time but at this point it's really only Namias Keta in my opinion uh you know Robert Woodard is gone uh Jamias Ramsey's gone Chimezi Metu you've had a huge sample size on him uh the uh, the other guys that you're you're looking at is Davion who again he's playing you know 24 to 25 minutes a night and you do want to see him play closer to 30 down the stretch here to really see and get him some more development time. But um, you don't really have just like this whole group of young players. And even if you look at Kada, the problem that you have with Kada is how do you warrant playing him at all when you have Sabonis? You have to keep up the value of Rashawn Holmes. You have Damian Jones, which you really like, and who's a free agent at the end of the year, and you probably want to get back on the court. You have Alex Len, who's under contract for next year. This, this team still has five centers, Brendan. It, it's absolutely crazy. And that's the one position where you might have a young player that you could turn to and say, hey, let's develop this guy in the last, you know, 22 games of the season and give him a real taste of the NBA.
1: Yeah. How much do you think gets factored in um, the contract situation with some of these guys coming down the stretch, like Rashawn Holmes versus Damian Jones and kind of seeing what you have with the ladder um, and... Yeah, just certain guys where it's like, you know, Dante DiVincenzo, how much does his play affect what we're looking at in restricted free agency and the amount of minutes and opportunity that he's getting? Like, how much in this final stretch is it more than just the on-court production and there's all these extra considerations going into? Yeah,
0: see, that's a, it's a really good point. Like, what is your, uh, sort of your, your barometer for what you're watching? What are you looking to see? What is it that, you know, why are you going forward or why are you tanking? And I think for me, like when we're looking at the end of this season, like this is very unique to this, to this specific season. This is one of the first times that the Kings have ever like fully swung for the fences and landed an all-star. It reminds me a little bit of when they went out and traded for Harrison Barnes at the deadline where it's like, okay. Harrison's probably going to be here, but Harrison also in that first summer, if I'm not mistaken, had an opt out. And so you wanted to create a vibe around the team that was positive. And I know even last year, you know, when Mo Harkless came on board at the trade deadline, he really worked hard to like create a culture. He, he enjoyed his time. And then as soon as the season was over, he spent a bunch of time with a bunch of young players, bringing them down, to his gym in LA and like promoting that. And, um, and like he wanted to be part of something here and, you know, he still might be, he's under contract next year as well. But, um, those are the types of things that I think are positive. They're positives for a team where you start having some camaraderie, you start having, you start building chemistry, you start building sort of like play sets that work and don't you test things, you look at player archetypes, like, that's where, what I would like to see in this last, last 22 games. But at the same time, like, go ahead and build some momentum,
1: right? Yeah, I think you have to. Um, I think that the most important thing is figuring out this Fox and Sabonis pairing. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and, and I think that other guys like Davion and Dante are important and fall into this as well. But primarily, you're talking about Fox and Sabonis and figuring out how they can build as much synergy um, alongside one another and really become an elite pick and roll game. And I think we've seen how Sabonis can help unlock Fox, but we're yet to see how Sabonis uh, benefits from Fox in this entire system. Like, I, I think that we've seen flashes of it, but I think that, we, you know, we haven't seen games where they're both putting up 25. Um, I think that first Minnesota game, they got really close to it. That first game, I want to say Sabonis ended with 22 something like 26 or 28 for De'Aaron, but um, you know more of those where I think that they're really getting used to one another. I think Sabonis getting accustomed to playing in a high-paced offense and what that looks like for him, but then also still trying to figure out of when we are in the half court, where do we fit in some Sabonis post-ups? Because we haven't seen that, and that's a good form of offense for him. So while there is a lot of these other factors, and, and I think guys that are maybe on the fringe or like your seventh guy that you do kind of need to figure things out with the most important thing is figuring out Fox and Sabonis and how that pairing works and how DiVincenzo and Davion Mitchell fit in as compliments to those guys and which one of those two is your backup point guard or are you only going to keep Fox and Sabonis um, one of them on the floor at all times or are you comfortable with like five minutes or four without either of those two. And Davion and Dante can share responsibilities for initiation. Um, So there's a lot to play with. And another asterisk or complication is that Alvin Gentry is the one that's playing with a lot of this. And we don't even know if he's going to be around next year. See, that's a good point. Um, As far as the players on the court,
0: like I want to see the Fox and and Sabonis pairing like you do. I also want to see Fox, Sabonis, and Harrison Barnes. And how does that three complement each other? Can Harrison Barnes be a long-term third? Uh, Do you want to try to extend Harrison Barnes this summer? Give him something like a three-year, $48 million contract extension that keeps him in a King's uniform for the next four years? Is that something that that makes sense? Um, Or is it one of those things where you're like, okay, this is kind of the last hurrah and we're going to look at this summer and see how we can improve multiple positions, including that that small forward or power forward position, and use Harrison Barnes as maybe a trade ship more than you would as a player moving forward. Um, I, I do. I, I want to know if Divincenzo is a starter, so I, I want to see a good. I want to see 22 games with him next to Fox. I do, and, and I don't know that that that's the best idea, um, but what I do need to see is him get his rhythm him figure out how to play with those guys. Um, And that's where I'm kind of like, like the Davion thing, like is Davion like going to be a starter going forward? I don't think he is. I I might be wrong. Um, I I think they like him as a combo guard that can play with either of those guys. But I I do want to see who and what DiVincenzo is in that starting group and and if that can work. And he's got to hit the threes. So I I think there are like some small things. But at the same time, I think more than anything that finding like some sort of continuity to push forward with some sort of like base, who are we, what can we do together? And then, you know, what pieces do we need to add? And you brought up the Alvin Gentry thing that I think that that's the biggest question mark of all, because Alvin is coaching for his job. And while he doesn't have a bunch of young players to rely on that, he does have, you know, some that he can go to. Um, I, I don't think this will be about about bringing, getting some guys experience. I think this is going to be about trying to win as many games as possible down the stretch and like taking up the the, the lottery position, crumpling up in a ball and say, you know, we're going to look at that when we're at the end of the season. And if it comes down to like three games and we're not going to make it, then maybe we we pull the plug on this whole thing. And, um, but as long as they're, they're in it at all, they're part of the conversation at all, which that could be over. in like the next two games, they play Denver back to back. Um, but if, if it's not over and you still have a shot, I expect them to go for it all the way down the stretch.
1: Yeah. And which do you feel like would be more beneficial to this team? Like, I, I feel like, I have an easy answer in my head, but compared to you know, staying at about this fifth best odds right now or compared to getting to the play-in and you're the 10th seed and have an opportunity to end this postseason drought, like which do you think would be more beneficial? I mean,
0: asset-wise, I, I think it's clearly that you would want to tank. <laughs> You'd want to get as good a draft pick as possible in this coming draft. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. <clears throat> um, I think there are like there are five players in this draft, four players, five five players that are, you know, really good and could be um sort of game changers a little bit for the Kings. I don't know that they can be game changers in year one, but maybe year three. Um, I also think there's a group of players there uh that, you know, if you had the right draft position this year, that you could trade that for gold and you could go get maybe the complementary piece that you're looking for to go alongside Fox and Sabonis or Fox, Sabonis and Barnes, um, and can be a game changer. And so I think that the Kings have to look at the draft as like something that's still there for sure, but they can't look at it as the end all be all. I think building chemistry, because I I keep saying this next season is so important for the Kings. It's so important because Sabonis can, can, uh, after next season you can negotiate a new contract for him he'll be going into the final year of his contract if he's gonna stick around you need to show that you're building towards something what we can't see is like it all of a sudden we go back to 18 months of inactivity that that just can't happen this team isn't good enough right now we know that it's not good enough to to be a high level playoff team but if you figure out that you have two massive building blocks and maybe a couple of other really strong uh like secondary pieces like that's that's good you need to you need to show Sabonis that you're committed to winning and so he wants to stay in Sacramento and that's not going to be easy but that's that's sort of the challenge at hand
1: yeah definitely and that's why they need to close out this year strong and like you're saying going into next year with some positive momentum i i think the coaching thing is a interesting factor in all of this and and how Alvin decides to close out this year. And if there is um, a a chance that he ends up coming back next season and and meets whatever incentives are in his contract, that'll do that. Um, I I certainly think it's interesting, but I would be really intrigued to go into the off season and Sacramento jumps into the top four. Um, Like I, I would take that over this, you know, getting swept in the first round as the eight seed. And maybe it's because I didn't experience all 15 seasons of this, To be honest, but I think that that asset is is very valuable. And like you said, just as much as it'd be intriguing to bring in one of these guys, that is such a valuable trade asset. Like, I'm sure that you could do Harrison Barnes in in a first round pick for John Collins at that point, you know? Um, And I I don't even know that I would do that. Like, I, I think that that would be an interesting conversation. But when you're sitting there with a top four pick and it has a label of where it's going to be in the draft, that value just becomes so much higher than where it's at right now is still kind of a wild card. Um, and, and that gap where it's, this is where the pick is gonna be, but it doesn't have a name attached to it yet. I think you used the example of like a used or of a car the last time that when you drive it off the lot, that it immediately loses X percent of its value. Um, same thing with a lottery pick. Once you attach a name to it, it loses a certain amount of value. So you have that gap of, if you do jump into the top four, you're talking about the number three pick rather than specifically Paulo Boncero, who maybe some people don't feel great about, but others do. Or, um, so yeah, I mean, I I think that jumping into the top four isn't a crazy scenario that's just impossible for this Kings team, which is pretty rare considering I think the talent level on this roster. And if they were to end up with that, I think that Monty has a serious asset to go and make this next move because I think that I think that you agree with me that the Sabonis thing is just the first step here. Oh like, yeah. We talk about Chicago, right? They were twelve and seventeen when they traded for um when they made the trade for I'm sorry, twelve and yeah, twelve and seventeen when they made the trade for um, Vucevic last season, yeah, and then they closed the year going 19 of 24, and they still have the eighth pick. So it's not like they were blowing people away at the end of that season, but then it's the extra moves on top of that. And the beauty is that Sacramento still has their pick. If Chicago was also working with Franz Wagner right now, it's a whole nother situation. Um, so I think that you know I'm not expecting all that much this off. through the rest of this season but it's exciting to kind of see them build chemistry and I think there's new things to look for going forward and at the same time a top four pick might be the best thing that could happen for this team
0: yeah uh yes to all of that I, I mean I I totally if you if you just can't win down the stretch but you are building and we are seeing some improvements and we're starting to see where you can make adjustments and where this whole thing could make sense I mean I think that's key right we need to see some sort of progress some sort of identity forming but at the end of the day uh that that lottery pick does have tremendous value and either way it's gonna be a lottery pick. Um I, I looked this up like the only way to fall out of the lottery um uh, basically if you're the uh the nine or the ten spot you um if you win if you're the, the nine ten game and you win you become the nine then you go play the winner the seven eight whoever wins a seven, eight goes up and is a seven spot in the, in the, uh, the playoffs. And then if eight and and nine or eight and 10, whoever wins that game becomes the eight spot. And then they go on to play, uh, the number one seed, right? Well, if you make the play in and you're the 10 spot and you win a game, then you lose a game. It doesn't matter. Your record is frozen at the end of the season. So if you're the ten spot right now in the Western Conference, that doesn't mean you're uh, the team with the what is it six best, like in the West.
1: Uh, well, yeah, it does, Portland but, is sitting with uh, tied for ninth best odds in the yes. lottery. They still have a sixteen point nine percent of jumping into the top four.
0: Yes, so so that's the point. The point is that you can be you can miss the make the play in, miss the playoffs but still be a lottery team because it's based off of record at that point, not off of place in the standings, Eastern versus Western conference. Um, it, it's strictly based off of, of win loss record. And so you could conceivably like a number nine spot does have pretty solid odds. The number six spot um, has a 9% chance of number one, 9.2 of number two, 9.4, number three, and 9.6 of landing the the number four spot. So basically, you have like a 37.2% chance of moving up into the top four. Those are pretty good odds. And if you're the number six team right now, there's no way to get the number five spot. And even getting the number six spot, your odds are actually, I think it's lower of being the number six spot than it is of being one, two, three, or four. Um, but you're, you're basically looking that you'll probably be either seven, eight, or nine, um, if that's where you finish the season. Anyway, I, I think that, that there's tremendous value in, in going for it. I think there's tremendous value in, um, in tanking. And I get people that want to tank. I just think with this specific team, this specific year, I want to see chemistry built. I want to see what these players have. I want to see if you can you know, start to establish a culture of winning that can carry into next season. I'll bring up the Phoenix Suns, who went 8-0 in the bubble did not make the plan, even though they went eight zero in the bubble, and then the next year they make it to the Western. Well, they make it to the NBA Finals, right? Like the the flip was the switch was flipped at at the the bubble. That's when it started, and I think the Kings could use those last twenty two games to get something started for next year. And then, lastly, Brendan, what I'll bring up too is um, we talked a lot about this in the build up to the trade deadline where. I believe that the the King's first round picks are more valuable than Tyrese Halliburton or uh or De'Aaron Fox as far as trade chips, right? So the the other interesting thing is the Steppian rule works in a sort of mysterious way here. You can't trade back to back picks. So you can't trade your Your 2022, 24, you can trade your 2022 and 24, but you can't trade your 23 pick unless you have an additional pick from someone else and it gets all mixy and crazy. So 22, 24, 26, you can trade, right? Once you actually select a player in the draft, and even if you work out a deal the day before, but the deal isn't consummated, isn't done through the league office, as long as you select the player and that player can be for the other team, then you can trade your next year's pick as well. So the stepping rule doesn't work in the same way when, when you get to the day of the draft, when you get to the day after the draft. So once a name is attached to the draft pick, which can happen, you can trade the pick before, but not make it official through the league and then draft a player. And then it's actually the, the player who's being traded, not the pick then you can go ahead and trade your next pick, your next year's pick. So conceivably, the Kings could trade their 2022 and 2023 first-round picks. They just have to wait until after the selection is made, basically, to consummate the deal for the 2022. So it adds just a different element. So now you could use this year's pick and that player, along with something, to go get something big, But then you would still have the opportunity to mortgage your future even further and trade your 23 and 25 picks to go get maybe another star level player. And so, again, I think, you know, it could get complicated here, but the Steppian rule is very specific. It only works in one way, and that is future draft picks. You can't trade future draft picks um, in back-to-back years, and that's sort of the loophole to it.
1: Yeah, that's interesting. I hadn't considered that, but that makes sense for sure. Um, And I think that also to your Phoenix point of closing out the year strong and then having those assets, it makes it that much more appealing to maybe players that are saying, I don't really want to be in my current situation on other teams where if you close the season strong in Sacramento, even if you're not winning all that many games, but you can see the blueprint starting to form that somebody could look that again is maybe unhappy in their current situation and look at Sacramento and be like, they have something that's starting here. And if I go there, I can be the missing piece. And I think that showing um, that potential is just added appeal to any potential acquisitions this offseason.
0: Um, all right. So we're going to skip Tuesday overreactions this week, because to be honest with you, um, there nothing happened, really. Uh, I mean, we could overreact to Lou King getting waived, but that happened during the podcast on Thursday, and we covered it pretty extensively. The Kings do have a roster spot going into the second half, but it's a two way roster spot. I do expect them to use that two way spot to do something. Uh, wh- whatever that is, I'm not sure whether it's reward one of their young guys or bring someone from another franchise over and give them a look in the second half of the season. There's some guys that are playing really well uh, that maybe the Kings would be interested in. Um, a guy like, uh, oh man, what's his name? Uh, DJ, DJ White? Is that? Um, Who, uh uh-oh, you're you're on mute.
1: Whoops, are you talking about on Stockton?
0: Yeah. Um, Well, no. I think it's... No, 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 I know uh, DJ uh, Seward. No, no, uh, uh, Stewart, yeah. Um, No, who's the one that they almost traded for in the DiVincenzo deal? Oh, um, DJ, um, oh shoot, I know who you're talking about. DJ Wilson. DJ Wilson from Sacramento, right? DJ Wilson from Sacramento. He's absolutely killing it at the G League level, and he's a guy that you know. Someone like that, or you're like, hey, maybe we we look at an intriguing player who who we could lock up not only this year but potentially next year. I don't know if he still fits into the the G League situation because he is, you know, he's he's a 26 year old who's played plenty of seasons in the NBA, and you'd have to look whether he fits into a two way. Um, but I, I still think that there are some opportunities for some players out there that you could look at and, like, just kick the tires on and, and see if they've got enough game to um, make you want to commit for next season or even, like, a two-year, two-way contract, which is what we've seen from Chemezi Metu. It's what we saw from Wenyin Gabriel. It's what we saw from Luke King, um, where you sign a guy right now to a two-way deal, but it's a two-year where you have them for next year as well. Um, and that way you're, you just have a guy in your system and a guy that can work through the summer with you um, complain to summer league if you want, but but really a guy that you you have in your gym who's working with your trainers and your coaching staff all summer to try to get better and develop, and and so you might see something that that you like. So I would expect the Kings to actually go out and do something with that. Um, do
1: you think Jemias could come back around?
0: Yeah, I think so. I mean, Jemias cleared waivers from what I saw. Like I think Jemias is a guy that you circle and go. I'm still intrigued you know, maybe I, I need to see more. Um, uh, but then again, you know, the Kings have a couple of second round picks this year. It's possible. They don't want to do a two year, two way contract with somebody because they look at this, uh, this offseason as another opportunity to go out and, and draft a player and then potentially use him, um, you know, on your squad. I think they have an early second round pick and then they have a late second round pick as well in this year's draft. Um, so, so again, I think that we're going to have to wait and see what they do here, but I, I would expect them to to at least try something. Um, what are your keys to the second half? Uh, I, I think that's a, a topic that we need to delve into. Maybe like three keys. What do you What do you need to see? What are you looking for? Um, what is it that would kind of like make you go okay, win or lose? That made sense.
1: I think. The first one for me is Demonis sabonis getting comfortable playing in pace and just that unlocking him and unlocking the rest of the guys on this team of just getting used to that when sabonis secures a board that these guys need to take off and expect an outlet pass or let sabonis like you you don't necessarily need to go get the ball from him let him be the one to take it up and kind of initiate things from there And I think that um, Sabonis getting used to that himself playing in a very high paced offense, but also the other guys getting accustomed to playing with a guy like Sabonis that changes the aspect of how consistent and um, successful your high paced transition game can be. Um, I think that that's definitely one for me. I think that seeing Dante DiVincenzo, I guess I'm kind of stealing this from you and putting a little bit of a different look on it. Um seeing DiVincenzo alongside Fox and Sabonis and getting more catch and shoot opportunities. Um, you know, I, I think that again, I said this in the last episode, it's not been enough games for me to actually pull the numbers and feel like I wanna um, put it out there, but the catch and shoot feels a lot better catch and shoot three-point shot with DiVincenzo than the pull-ups that we've seen and I think just figuring out ways to get him more catch and shoot opportunities which is probably working him into the starting lineup um, and I I would assume in the closing lineup as well there Um, and then the last one for me will be this backup center um, race I guess you can call it like you need to retain value with Rashawn Holmes and make sure that he is still a valuable asset this off season. when I would assume that they're going to try to move him again. And I think that Rashawn needs to also kind of accept the reality of his situation and realize that if he plays the best basketball that he can in this backup role throughout the final 22 games, that that could in- increase his opportunities for where he could end up going this offseason. Um, but at the same time you do that, which is where this is a weird juggling act, I need them to play Damian Jones enough to be able to actually decide this offseason is that somebody that you want to keep around? Because I thought he was playing really good basketball. Um like I'm kind of coming back to it, but I feel like it's a little unfair to him that he's just out of the rotation after getting an opportunity and I feel like proving himself pretty well. So I, I think that it's a little bit of a juggling act of figuring out how to retain value with Rashawn Holmes and get him comfortable in this backup role, but also, Damian Jones deserves some play, and I think he needs to get opportunity to decide, is that somebody that we want back on a low-value contract next year as the backup five on this team or fighting for the backup position, if that's even something that he'd be interested in?
0: Yeah, it's interesting, right? Because Alex Len is under contract for next season. Uh, Rashawn right. Holmes is under contract for next season. Uh, Sabonis is under contract for next season. Namias is, yeah. is on uh, is under uh, contract for next season. The one guy that you really might want to have under contract for next season is is Damian Jones. Not the one, but the guy out of you know your five centers um, after after we get past Sabonis, like he might be the guy. He might be the guy that you want to have uh, locked up because I think he's he's shown that versatility wise. I kind of wonder, could you play Damian Jones? Could you try to give Damian Jones um, some of the minutes you're giving Chemezi Met to and, and see if he can play with Sabonis?
1: Yeah, I don't... I mean, I don't hate trying it, I guess. Um, but we're talking about needing as much spacing on this team as possible. I guess because you don't have great spacing options, I, I don't hate trying it, but... Um, I would guess that that doesn't go too well.
0: I like him as a three-point shooter. He's smooth from the top of the key. like, And he's hit a couple of baseline uh, three-point shots. I, I think that any big that you're going to play with, uh, Sabonis, needs to be able to space the floor. And so I, I think whether it's a, a smaller big or a shot-blocking big, uh, whatever it is, I mean, y- you need guys that are going to space the floor. Um, so let me see. My keys. Uh, my keys are going to look pretty similar to yours. Um, I think I'm going to throw in Barnes because I I just, I like the pairing with Barnes. And I think Barnes has like another six years in the league where he's a very, very serviceable player at, at a minimum because he takes care of his body so well. He's a guy who's, you know, going to be pushing 30 here. Um, I think he turns 30 in a couple of months. Um, but he's, he's a guy that I would like to see, like, can he be, the player that we've seen, he's had one really bad game, but every King had a bad game outside of De'Aaron Fox in the loss to the Nets. But with Sabonis, he's been really good, and I kind of want to see that. So I want to see the three of those guys on the court a ton together. I want to see them build chemistry. I want to see them cut. I want to see you start adding wrinkles to this offense. Um, I want to see like if you can find beautiful basketball with those three. Because uh, then if you can, I think it makes this summer a lot easier, uh, especially if you believe that you can extend Harrison Barts, which I'm not sure if you can. Um, but I certainly think that if you have the right chemistry, the right flow with those three, it, it gives you a better opportunity to do that going forward. Um, the DiVincenzo thing, I, I want to know, is he a starter or is he coming off the bench? And I also want to know, is he an $8 million player? Is he a $12 million player? Is he a $14 million player? I want to know what he is because you got to pay him this summer, and I don't think the Kings traded for him just because he has a $6.6 million qualifying offer and you're just going to lock him in at that and and hope that he signs the, the tender. I don't think that's the case. I think they want him long term. But there's a big difference between me being all on board with Dante DiVincenzo at four years and $32 million. Versus four years and 48 million. Um, like, I, I just, I want to know who he is. And as of right now, I don't think we have that idea. Like, I, I mean, offensively. I think, yeah. I mean, I, yeah. I mean, defensively, I think he's, he's certainly a gambler and, and he's a lot of fun and he's solid defensively and yeah, he's probably better than solid. Clearly, he's better than um, either Halliburton or, Uh, or Bogdanovich defensively that, I mean, that's not even a question mark in my mind, but I want to know, like, is he, is he a starting level NBA shooting guard? Or do you still really need to address that situation in the summer? And then it becomes like, where does he fit alongside Terrence Davis? Like how, how does that work out? And so I actually think they're, they're a little bit similar as far as play style and everything else, as far as Steve Vincenzo and, and Terrence Davis, I think Terrence Davis is actually a better shooter for the most part. Uh, but, you know, I kind of want to know what your team is going to look like with him. Um, and then lastly, it's kind of a weird one, but I think this team needs to show that they, they can be blue collar and that they can give it every single night, whether they win or lose. And they need to establish a culture where letting go of the rope is not acceptable under any situation. And in doing this, I think that they will start to bring back the fans. Fans will want to watch down the stretch. And that's why I think even a chase for the in is really valuable for this team, because watching the attendance dwindle to where it is now is stunning and not good at all. And I would like to see I'd like to see this team start to make people aware that they're back. That that they're building something that can be sustainable and that fans want to come out and see next season and the season after that, because as of right now, like uh, they killed off a huge percentage of their fan base this year, or at least turned off a huge percentage of their fan base. I think trading Halliburton like that hurt as well. But what we're seeing so far is like some really positive things when it comes to the the pairing with Sabonis, the pairing with Fox, um, I, like. I want to see it and I want to see like so much of it that you're like, okay, either we, we have something or we don't. And if we don't have something, then more hard decisions are going to be needed this summer. But like you have to build something for fans to tune into, to, to, to want to look forward to. And I think that this is a 22 game stretch where you like, all right, let's lace it up and let's go battle and let's go see if we can get back in this thing and, and, you know, make people take notice in Sacramento because
1: I think that's a big deal. Yeah, um, you know, I, I've been really surprised at... I mean, when you when you sit and think about it, it makes sense, the low attendance this season, but I, I've been surprised compared to just years prior with usually Golden 1 Center being so so loud and, and filled um, often. But yeah, closing out this year with more of these fight games that we saw against Chicago even, where they fought to the final buzzer. There were moments like where you know probably just optimistic and hopeful and they didn't really have a chance at the end but you feel like they do and it feels like the team thinks like that maybe we can pull this off and they're staying engaged until the final buzzer like if your stinkers are more like what we saw in brooklyn where a lot of that is kind of just you're not meshing very well and you didn't hit a great amount of shots it was your worst shooting night of the entire season if like those are the stinkers that you get once or twice in this final stretch rather than the crap that we saw where you're losing by fifty in Boston or you're blowing a double digit lead in Atlanta and then losing by twenty plus. Like those the, the Brooklyn stinkers are acceptable. The stuff that we saw in Atlanta and Boston, I, I think that you just can't have those to close out this season.
0: I totally agree. I totally agree. Um let's get to uh this weird topic of discussion. This is this is a strange topic of discussion to have with you because you almost don't know any better. Uh, which isn't a knock on you. Um, but Adam Silver came out this weekend and, in conversations. He always meets with the pro basketball writers association um, during, during the all-star break. Um, and this time around, he made some comments about potentially not allowing reporters back in the locker room. And I know you haven't had this opportunity, but when you hear that, what was your first instinct? like, someone who's just now getting their feet wet, as far as being there. And, you know, I I could imagine, like, it might be awkward to say it this way, but like, one of your goals has got to be like, man, I can't wait until I get locker room access where I'm actually in there, where they're at, like being able to walk up to guys and have conversations and stuff like that.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that the whole idea in my mind going into this, I'm like, you know, I'm the young guy here, I feel like I should be able to relate to some of these guys and build relationships. And I I think that the tiny bits of moments I've gotten of talking to somebody on the side by myself, like you can feel just the difference rather than they're sitting at a microphone. And it's just more personal, you get more of their personality, you're able to get them more laid back, it feels like and I think that building a sense of like, trust in a relationship would be in my mind, a lot easier in that environment. And while I haven't experienced the in-locker room, you can like feel the, you're not going to get, you're going to get these media personality from these guys when they're sitting on a stage with a mic in front of them and a bunch of chairs and, and uh, guys that they're looking at that's just not going to be the same on any sort of one-on-one situations you possibly get in a locker room.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of that is like spot on, right? And I'll just say this, like, you had seen me before you met me. You'd seen me do podcasts, and you like w- like read some of my work here and there, or saw me on Twitter and all that stuff, right? Yeah, definitely. Am I different in person than you expected? Yeah, of course. Yeah, like substantially different, right? Yeah, very, very. Yeah, very different. Um, that's what you're missing. Like, like the the hard thing for me is that like, look, when you're allowed in the locker room. There are awkward people in the locker room. There are like, I'm not going to say that like some of the gripe that they're like media gawkers or they're like fanboys or fangirls that, that let, get let into the locker room. I'm not going to argue with that. That's on like media relations or it's on, um, you know, it's on the team. And, and I guess at, at a certain point it's on media to police themselves and like to have conversations with people about the way that they interact and, you know, how that they, they like purport themselves. And uh, like, I don't know, like they're w- when you're in the locker room, it, it's very different than like pregame and postgame are two totally different situations. Pregame is, you know, sometimes there's no one there. Sometimes there's five players. Sometimes there's like two guys sitting there. Sometimes you can approach players and they say, yeah, go ahead and ask your questions. I'll I'll do up like I'll I'll do some uh like for for quotes for a story. If I want to go, if I'm writing a story about, you know, Rashawn Holmes, but I want that story told from uh, not just his point of view and not just my point of view, but from uh, Harrison Barnes' point of view and and the difficulties like Sabonis seeing what's happening with with him. Like if I want to tell that story, the story has more layers and it has more depth if I have more. Questions. If I question more people and I add a like, I create a narrative or a a like a, a broader painting of of the scene, right? Um, then if I just ask a bunch of questions in Zoom and write about it, uh, the fact that number one, anything that I get inside a locker room is usually my own information. It's not shared information. That's huge. And there's also a dynamic within the locker room of people who decide to come over and listen to your conversations and try to record your conversations as media members. And you have to like put your foot down and say, look, you need to back up because I'm having a, a private conversation with about something I'm writing. Or can you give me a minute? And if someone says, no, say, all right, well, I'll come back later. Go ahead and ask your question. What are you going to ask him? And then I'm going to stand here with my mic out. So it's awkward. So like there's these moments that you have to have with some people, but then I think overall, like, you get to see them interact in a different way. Like we see them on the bench. We see them in interview rooms. We see them a little bit in practice where you see Davion and, uh, it used to be Davion, Tyrese and, uh, and De'Aaron like hanging out and and talking trash to each other and with Rico Hines and everyone's laughing and having a good time. Like, but to actually be there next to them, having, like sometimes you're part of the conversation. Sometimes sometimes you don't even have your recorder on and you're just sitting next to someone having a conversation. So you're getting off the record stuff, but you can feel vibes. You can feel like the camaraderie or the lack of camaraderie. You can feel like if if guys are ready, if there's a buzz, uh, I'll tell you like Willie Cauley Stein showing up at 6.15 every single night wearing his jeans. And um, like when there's a game at seven o'clock, that's something that like, I've never seen that before players that don't, that doesn't show up on time that they gets there late, um, rolls in, he's not in the practice facility. He's still wearing his, his drip. Um, you know, those are things that you pick up on in, in a locker room and I think they're hugely valuable. Um, but I also, I understand there are going to be awkward people, right?
1: Oh yeah, there definitely is. Um, yeah, there's. I mean, even in outside of like the closer situation of in a locker room, in just what I've seen, there's awkward moments. Very much so, and you can tell that everybody feels that it's an awkward moment. Maybe aside from the person asking the question, somehow, even then, I like to think that they realize that it's an awkward moment. Um, but they're definitely they are even in the current environment.
0: Yeah, I would say this. Like, I don't think that. Um you would see some of this stuff out there in social media that media members are putting out there. If there was that next layer of responsibility, which is going into the locker room and dealing with these guys. Like we we've got to a point where I think some media members are snarky. Some media members say things that, um, that they say things because they know that there's, there's no accountability. Like, have I been hard on Buddy Hill? Was I hard on Buddy Hill when he was a member of the Sacramento Kings? Yeah say, live by the, the buddy, die by the buddy. Yeah, I said that a bunch of times. If I was in a locker room and Buddy Heald wanted to call me over and say, hey, what's up with this live by the buddy, die by the buddy thing? Like, I'd have to own up to it. I'd have to have a conversation about what I mean by that and why I think it is that it's appropriate for me to say that. Like, those are the, the lines that I think are, are missed. Like, they're – and like well, I was talking to you before we got on here – um, you know, everyone, when whatever job you have, you can look around the job and you start to realize that there's the there, there are groups of people that you work with, right? There are the people who act really busy but do nothing. There are the people that uh, that don't act busy and they don't care that they're perceived as lazy and they don't care at all and they do what they're going to do and you're just like, I can't believe that you still have a job. You have your your people who are just there grinding it out, and like they can't wait to they're the last one to get there, but they can't wait to leave. You also have your people that just flat out get it, that like they get that whatever job it is, it doesn't matter what it is, they're just good at it, and and they find ways to like like to get better, and they just they they set a standard for everyone else, and you might look at them and go, man, I, I would never do that. But at the same time, you have to at least appreciate that someone is out there doing that kind of work and going that extra mile. Well, the, it's the same way. Like it's the same way with media members or there, there are good media members or bad media members or media members that, that don't ask a question at all ever that they're that could get like awkward and you could look at it as like, what are they doing here? Um, but then again, I you know, I think we each of us use our skill set that we have when we walk into a locker room, we walk into an interview room and I'll say this Brendan is someone who like instantly like has an ability to walk into a room and introduce himself to everyone. He did it at my house on Super Bowl Sunday. I was like, Hey, look, I don't have to introduce Brendan to everyone. That's good. He he does it himself. That's a, a skill. Um, but like I'm reading some of these crazy things that are out there. Uh Ethan Strauss had an interesting take. I think if, if you guys are interested in this topic Uh, go look at what Ethan wrote on, um, the media locker room. I don't agree with all of his stuff. Um, and I also, you know, being in a locker room with him, um, you know, I, I have my own opinion on how comfortable he felt in a locker room. And it's, it's different because I don't, I'm comfortable just about anywhere. And I don't mind walking into somewhere where it could be construed as, uh, like very uncomfortable, and I feel comfortable in a lot of different situations. I think, Brennan, you're a lot like that, too.
1: Uh, yeah, I think that uh, there's an initial breaking the ice um, that still, I, I think yeah. it's just me understanding what the whole scenario looks like. And just, I think I said it on the last episode, like the first time we went to shoot around, you're the only other person there. And they bring Mo Harkless out. And you ask a couple questions and I'm just kind of standing there waiting for my turn. And then he just walked away and media relations is like, oh, you're t- you're quiet today. I'm like, oh, I didn't realize exactly what was going on here. Um, so I think that once I have like my understanding of what just is typical that, yeah, I, I like to think that my dad did a good job of putting me in uncomfortable situations often enough that I'm comfortable in most.
0: It's good. It's good to be uncomfortable. It's good to like. And the other thing I, I I told you in the beginning, it's okay not to ask a question. You don't have to ask a question. Just to ask a question. Like when I was at NBC, sure, I had to ask a question every single night because I had a camera crew that was working, getting ready to collect like like quotes for TV. So I do I have to ask questions? Yes, um, but there's also moments where you can sit back and learn, right? Like there have been some moments this season where we've talked about it. It's, this has not been like, like lower division, freshman, sophomore year of college basketball. This has been like high level upper division, like coaches are about to get fired. Players may or may not be traded. Uh, you know, players may or may not be sitting out games. Like the complexity of this season, like, it's, it's unlike almost any other season I've covered in Sacramento. But I think, like, you've got to see it and, like, learn from each situation. Like, oh, okay. You can start feeling, right? The the tenor in the room change. The the strange things that have happened this season where you're just like, is this normal? And then it's like, nope, that's not normal. We haven't seen that before. And then there are other times where, you know, DeMarcus Cousins is yelling and screaming while wearing a towel at a media member. And you're like, okay, this
1: isn't normal either.
0: But it's more normal than some of the things I've seen this season.
1: <laughs> so. Yeah. I think the most uncomfortable or um, moments where I just didn't know what to ask was in the middle of that like Boston Atlanta stretch where they're just absolutely getting their butt kicked every single night. And we're hearing the exact same, like, how many times do we hear Alvin Gentry, or maybe it was only once earlier this year that he said, This is the worst thing. This is the worst game I've coached in my 30 some years. There were like four games after that that were worse. And it's like, I don't know what I'm supposed to ask at this point because I'm not just going to hear about the same live ball turnovers, rebounding, we're not pushing the pace. And it got to a point where I'm like, I don't know what we're supposed to ask these guys. And it's like, I guess it becomes philosophical stuff of why are you giving up? Why are you not trying hard enough? And um, yeah, like you having your moments, I think that it was probably in that Boston Atlanta stretch of like, okay need to be more blunt with these guys and hold them accountable of like you you look like you gave up and I think just finding figuring out the moments which obviously you have down at that point at this point of when to when you need to go down certain other routes outside of just because I'm very comfortable asking like schematic questions of why what happened on the floor but when it gets beyond that is where I I kind of was uncomfortable this year and definitely growing still.
0: It's you can't ask about how a player who had a really good game, you can't really ask about how that that good game went to a coach or a player when they got like their head kicked in by 35. Like it, like there's like these moments where you have to be bold, you have to like ask tough questions. And then there are other times where you're you're trying to frame out a question. You're trying to you know, you have a story that you're writing and you need quotes for it. There are other times where it's just like, Man, I have an opportunity here. I, I think, you know, you can watch a player open up. And that's that's another thing that you're learning is when you watch a player go from like canned answers to
1: like, oh, wait, I just felt them De'Aaron. let their guard down. Right? Dearren's the one that you saw that clearly with this year. Like most of the time you're getting a lot of these straight up media answers, and then every once in a while he has moments where he's just feeling the topic and decides he's gonna let it out and then in those moments that's when you need to reach in and grab the
0: soul and pull it back out (laughs) and drag it out and those are the moments where you're looking for you're like ah okay we got him in in the right frame of mind the right mood and i think even ty had a lot of moments where he like you can ask him stuff and like there are some nights where it was just beating him down but when it's beating him down you can see it. Everyone can see it. But if you're writing it, the trick is to somehow get them to express that in a way that is relatable in print. So, like, how do you see the emotions of a player? How do you see somebody who's downtrodden, who who's beaten up, who is hiding underneath a hoodie? How do you capture that moment in a quote? And And it can't always be, like, my quote describing what I see— sometimes you can get the soul of the player to tell you what, what they're feeling and not be canned, not be kind of like your standard answer where you're you're actually, you know, connecting on a different way. And, and again, I think that's where the locker room, like there is all kinds of ways to do that. There's ways to do that, and if you turn the cameras off and you can get that moment, then you've got gold. Then it's an amazing thing because you can sit there and have philosophical discussions whether they're on the record or they're off the record, but you start to really understand what's making someone tick, what what's good, what's bad about their situation that they're in, um, whether they have something personal going on. like it, It's just a different way. Once the cameras are, aren't there and you're sitting one-on-one, again, I think it's um, it, it's not something you've got to experience, but I think you could probably see it now where if we're having those discussions, and we start hitting them with questions that are philosophical or, or different, just think if the zoom wasn't on, if the cameras weren't on. And if everyone wasn't capturing that, it was just an intimate discussion between two people. And that's where you really start to see where there's a different avenue. And I think that's what um, some of these guys just flat out, they don't get, they don't get especially in the world of zoom, like where everyone has a shared question, everyone has a shared answer, like it's, it's tough. Yeah, I'm ready
1: to experience it. I hope we get back to it.
0: I hope we do too. Um, all right, so we're going to finish with the business of basketball. I like the business of basketball. Um, there was something on, on Twitter that went out this weekend. Um, I don't even know who put it out there, to be honest with you. It felt like it was – maybe it was the Kings. Who's your Mountain Rushmore?
1: I think they did. It was a trend going around everything. I think even okay. beyond sports, it was everybody was this weekend deciding what's your Mount Rushmore of X, Y or Z. And I think the Kings themselves tweeted it out.
0: Yeah, I think it's because they had the 75th uh 75 at 75, right? The top 75 players of all time were yeah. uh, brought out on the court whoever was still alive and um were were brought out on the court uh at All-Star weekend. Um you haven't been around this franchise long a long time, but like who is who would be your Mount Rushmore, which I think it we might even be able, like you have a unique perspective because a, the franchise has been in Sacramento longer than you have been alive. Um, <laughs> and b like, you started out with like, you've had other teams that you, that you watch that you view like closely. Um, uh, but if you were to give a, a Mount Rushmore with the Kings, who would it be?
1: Yeah. Um, I'm a interesting study for this question. Um, I think that can I have you do your four and then my Mount Rushmore is the four best uh, teammates that De'Aaron Fox has ever had? Because that's the the basketball that I really watched closely with the Kings.
0: Interesting. Okay. Um, So, so yeah, if I'm going to do Mount Rushmore, the Kings, like I I saw a lot of this out uh, on Twitter. A lot of people making comments. Um, like I would love to put Gary Gerald and uh, Jerry Reynolds on the Mount Rushmore, um, but I, I'm kind of going to stick to the basketball side of it. Um, sort of. Um, number one, you have you have two clear Hall of Famers that are NBA Hall of Famers, not European uh, ballot Hall of Famers. So Vlade Divac is the one who's a European um, on the European ballot, you know, Hall of Fame um, who got in that way. And Vlade is so deserving. It's nuts. like one of the greatest European players of all time. Um, Like I was a complete advocate for him to be named uh, to the Hall of Fame. But uh, as a Sacramento King, he was a really good player. He wasn't to me a great player. Um, And so my two players that I'm going to have on it are super simple. It's just Mitch Richmond and Chris Webber. I think without any doubt, without any, like, there was no question. Those are the two greatest players to ever play in Sacramento. I don't care what people want to say about DeMarcus Cousins or anyone else. Um, DeMarcus, you know, never led his team to the playoffs or anything else. And while he was a three-time All-Star and he's a very, very talented player. And I think at one point, probably the best big man in the game and a joy to watch each and every night, like the things that he could do. I still don't think like longevity wise and everything else um, and win total wise, even though he's with the team probably longer than Weber. Um, like, so Mitch Richmond, Chris Weber without any question are are my two player representatives um the Sacramento Kings in 37 years have eight seasons over 500 eight seasons uh 10 seasons that they've made the playoffs but eight seasons over 500 and uh there's only one coach that's done that and that's Rick Adelman and so Rick Adelman with me to me uh, he's a hall of famer but uh he's clearly clearly the uh on the uh Mount Rushmore for Sacramento Kings and then lastly I don't know how you people miss this I don't know how in the world he isn't the first one that's on anyone's Mount Rushmore but Jeff Petrie is the greatest architect of of winning that the Kings ever had and I I know that some people will say oh he finished off so poorly and you know he drafted Jimmer and um, like some of his draft picks down the down the stretch were not great. Um, he didn't just build uh, the the two thousand eight. Oh, let's see, no, nineteen ninety eight, ninety nine Kings. He actually built the team before that that made the playoffs for the first time in a decade uh, in the ninety five, ninety six season. Um, I think he was hired in ninety three and started building this team out. And uh, he's the one who drafted guys like Brian Grant and Michael Smith. Um, He put, he's one of the, the only player, the only people that ever put a team around Mitch Richmond and allowed him to make the playoffs here in Sacramento. And the way that he was able to reset the roster so quickly, bring in Rick Adelman, build that incredible eight years of, of golden age of Sacramento Kings basketball. um, To me that there's no question. He's on Mount Rushmore in Sacramento. Like I, He's probably the most central figure of the uh, the Mount Rushmore-like wall, in my opinion. I don't even think it's close.
1: Okay, so Jeff Petrie, Rick Adelman, uh, Chris Weber, and uh, Mitch Richmond. Yep. All right. So it's cool if I do it a little different. I'm going to do the last five years of course. since Darren has been here, because this is where I've watched closely. Oh um, Jesus! I know. I know. <laughs> Do I include <laughs> De'Aaron because he's the obvious one, or do I make it really interesting and not include him? This becomes De'Aaron's best teammates. Uh, let's just do De'Aaron's best teammates. That that to me is spectacular. I, w- I want to hear it. Okay. Um, obvious shout out, or, or that actually not shout out. He's on the list here, and I, I'm going to include years for these guys because there's some names that if you don't include the years, it sounds outlandish um 2021-22 this season's Tyrese Alburn I think it's probably I'm not going to include Sabonis yet he's played four games together um but I think Tyrese Alburn's the best teammate that Rashawn that um De'Aaron Fox has had and you know the the versatility that we saw offensively and being able to kind of take the load off of him sometimes I think is something that we hadn't seen for De'Aaron um I think Tyrese is an obvious one here after here the other obvious one weirdly to me was going back to 2018-19 2018-19 when they won 39 games, and uh, this is Buddy Heald. Buddy Heald was crazy this year. He, had, he averaged 20 points. He led the, the team in scoring, shot 42% from three on almost eight threes a game, and that was the ridiculous high pace offense where Dave Yeagers was running out of. Um, his voice was going bad after every single game because he was telling him to sprint on every single possession. Um, and so I, I think that buddy Healed falls into this, um,
0: hang out, shout out, uh, Dave Yeager's birthday was yesterday. Shout out know. coach
1: Yeager. I think he's 48. Okay. Shout out Dave. Um, after that I didn't exactly know where to go. Um, I think that what I ended up with, um, is I had to figure out the exact years here last year's um i'm going last year for both of these guys actually harrison barn and rashawn holmes are the two other that i'm putting on here as the best teammates that we've seen and last year's rashawn holmes um, which is a good reminder of just how good rashawn holmes really is and that player is still very much there we're only one year removed from him averaging 14.2 points 8.3 rebounds 1.6 1.6 blocks per game and in, in just under 30 minutes on 63 percent from the field he ended i don't remember exactly what the number is but he was top five in field goal percentage he was in a battle for first for most of the season with mm-hmm. rudy gobert and i think jared allen was the other one in there um so i'm, I'm putting rashawn holmes as my third and then the fourth one I'm, I'm gonna go with harrison barnes um i think that if i could pick you know a random 15 game stretch from either this season or last season then harrison barnes might be the best teammate Uh, Darren Fox has ever seen because we have these moments of Harrison Barnes averaging 20 plus for a stretch where and shooting 50 percent from three and where it's just like holy crap why can't he do this every single night but even just looking at last year's total numbers and this year's numbers are impressive for Harrison as well um, but last year 16 points a little over six and a half boards 3.5 assists on these shooting splits of 49.7 percent from the field 39.1% from three and 83% from the free throw line flirting with 50 40 90 um yeah so I'm going with this season's Tyrese Halliburton 18 19 buddy healed when he averaged 20 plus and then last season's Harrison Barnes and Rashawn Holmes for the best teammates that De'Aaron Fox has ever had and uh Sabonis by the end of the year probably makes this list okay so um
0: I think that's that's like, I think you're spot on with most of those. Um, uh, I forgot Bielitsa. Oh, the the Bielitsa, yes. <laughs> um, I also think um, in the final 20 games of uh, leading up to the bubble, uh, Bogdan Bogdanovich was incredible. Um, he had a run there that was... that. So that's an interesting way to approach it. Um, I'm going to knock Buddy Heald off that list because um, while he was really good... Um, he didn't want Dave Yeager there. And part of the reason why Dave Yeager wasn't brought back was because of players like him who went and like, a a lot of it was like the personnel issues behind the scenes with uh, Brandon Williams and Dave and, and Vladi not being able to manage that. Um, But I also think there were a couple of players that pushed hard for Dave to not be there. And that was probably the worst move that Buddy Heald ever made in his career is to try to push Dave out the door um, because Dave he played better under Dave than anyone else. Dave held him accountable in a way that um, I, I just don't think any other coaches. Like at a certain point, I don't even think you try. Um, but but you're probably right. That season, he was really good. Yeah, um, if we're
1: talking about the one season, but it does feel weird. You're right to say that Buddy Healed is one of the best teammates that Fox has had because he's probably done more harm than good.
0: Well, scoring wise, he's he's the highest scoring teammate. I would say I would assume um, over Fox's career. I think over the last five years he was probably second to Fox in scoring actually if you factor in Fox's rookie season, he's probably well, it's probably really close, like how many points per game they average combined over the four year stretch. Um and I also think it's really interesting that that whole stat that DeAaron threw out that he thinks there was only like two games in his entire career where he didn't play with Buddy Healed. Yeah. That's just that's just bizarre. He's already
1: played more since he's
0: been traded without Buddy than before. Wow. <laughs> See, there, there's another little nice stat from from Brendan Nunes. Uh, yeah, so interesting interesting topic. Uh, I, I hope that uh, eventually Sean pops back on and we're able to get Sean's opinion on this because he's been around. He was around the team for so long. Um, and, you know, maybe he doesn't have Petrie. Maybe he doesn't have Adelman on his list. Maybe it's just straight-up players. And if it's just straight-up players, you know, maybe Cousins makes a list then. Um, and, and then... You know, maybe Vlade makes a list as well. I don't know. Like, I'm not putting Mike Bibby in there. Maybe Peja. Um, Like, there's definitely. And then there's also, like, the, like, y- we could do Mount Rushmore of, like, the greatest Kings personalities. Like, who did you like the best? Like, I-, I think we could take this a bunch of different routes. So, I it could be good food for thought. So, if you're... It, um... Is
1: there anybody, real quick, is there anybody on this current Kings roster that could break into the Mount Rushmore of players? Yeah, I think I think Fox and Sabonis
0: both could. I mean, I like I mean, I don't know for sure, but I mean, I certainly think that um, you know, when it's all said and done, I think statistically speaking, like Fox has to separate himself from a guy like Kevin Martin, you know? Like if he wants to be like one of the all-time greats from a franchise. Um, but at the same time, you know, I think Sabonis can step in and be be everything that Vlade was, but um averaging 20 and and 12 or 14 and and like six or seven like i think he can be that good for this team and so i like i i honestly believe if they play their cards right that like sabonis could um, not only be a multi-time all-star but sabonis could be a hall of fame type player um by i'm gonna sneeze (laughs) oh sneeze went away i almost sneezed wow Um, yeah. So yeah, I think it can change. I think, I mean, and that's what you want, right? You want different generations of, of fans to be able to look and say, you know, I I mean, as far as good guys ever on this franchise, you know, Wayman Tisdale, like, could you do a a Wayman Tisdale and, and Doug Christie and like, like their guy, Bobby Jackson, like guys that people love the most. Like, I think there's all kinds of different ways you can look at this. So awesome. Good discussion today, Brendan, all kinds of interesting topics that we took on.
1: Yeah, it was a fun one. Uh, we found some way to fill this out despite the break, and I think that we're going to have a whole lot of conversation as the uh, as the games start to flow in here again. I'm excited to get back at this. It's the sprint. We we got
0: uh, we got to the last uh, you know two miles, three miles of a of a marathon, and now we're going to see the sprint. And I think this is going to be really, really intriguing. 22 games. Um, do you have any final final thoughts?
1: I do not. I hope that, I, I guess I hope that uh, Davion's injury isn't going to be lingering. Um, I, I believe, it, and maybe I'm remembering this wrong or just kind of took it wrong. It seemed like the impression we got was that he was still going to be available for Rising Stars and that it wasn't that big of a deal when they were talking about him missing that last game in Chicago. Um, that didn't end up happening. Just hope that we see Davion in this next game against Denver or else I'm going to start to be a little, a little worried there when I don't want to be.
0: Yeah. Um, hand contu- contusions are, that's a, a strange, um, distinction. So did he fracture something like what's going on there? Um, and for a guy who plays as physical as he does with his hands, uh, that is a interesting, like, we'll have to see how it works out. Um, all right. I think that's going to do it for this edition of the, uh, the King speed podcast. Um, if you're, uh, again, watching us still on YouTube, uh, give us a thumbs up, give us a subscription trying to reach 1000 subscriptions and we're getting super close. So the race there is cool. Um, uh, number two, if you're not a premium subscriber to the King's speed, you should be, uh, you need to jump on board cause uh, we're doing crazy work here. Um, I'm hoping even Brendan's going to start writing a little bit, who knows? Who that knows? is the
1: plan. If I didn't take this little break, I think there would already be something. But that's the plan. Oh,
0: that's right. Uh, and uh, you know what? Like, if you're uh, you're still watching now, why don't you do this? Why don't you uh, in the comment section down below give us your Mount Rush your Mount Rushmore of uh, of Sacramento Kings and and tell us why it is that they are your Mount Rushmore uh, because you can look at it a bunch of different ways. So. Again, uh, thanks for tuning in to the King's Beat podcast for Brendan Nunez from the King's Herald and the King's Pulse. I am James Ham, your King's insider for ESPN 1320 and the King's Beat. We'll see you on Thursday.